Amen. Good, uh, good morning. My name is Tim Beckett, and uh, some of you might know me, some of you might not, but it's uh, great to be back with you this morning. Um, I have a, a sweet privilege of being on staff here, and uh, my position um, was in discipleship ministry. Some of you will know that John Fitter is on his way. As of August 1st, he'll be taking my role uh, that I used to do in discipleship, and we're excited for that. John has a huge passion um, for uh, discipleship in small groups, and uh, so that's going to allow me then to officially start uh, August 2nd, uh, heading towards Perry Sound Campus. And so I'll be caring for that over the next year and a half. Um, through Carl and I, we've made that commitment to the campus while we continue to seek for a lead preaching pastor. So if I can place that as a prayer request for you, uh, would you put that on weekly, is that you would continue to pray for a lead preaching pastor for the Perry Sound Campus as we continue to care for that. Um, pastor Kai has asked me to preach this morning. Uh, he's away this week, um, praying and fasting uh, for next year's uh, preaching calendar. And so again, if you could um, just lift him up in prayer, that would be hugely appreciated um, as he continues to seek out what the Lord has for all of us to learn. Just also want to just take a small moment, because I can, because of where I stand right now, is, is to say thank I, I'm just so thankful for Pastor Kai. Amen. We are so, so blessed to have a servant of the Lord as he, and I uh, just wanted to, to lift his name this way because we need to be praying for him consistently and constantly, and uh, just keep him in your, in your prayers this week. Yesterday, what a great day. On Saturday, we had a baptism at Port Sydney Beach. It was awesome. Uh, we witnessed 15 people being baptized, uh, two on Thursday, so that was 17 in total. Uh, committed this way in a new life. It was exciting. And uh, just, again, I, I should have an amen in there somewhere, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So again, as I said, it's great to be back with our other church family. Uh, it's such a privilege and a blessing uh, to be able to get into God's Word together and study. My prayer for all of you this week, and including myself, has been going through this passage that, that, that would have the same effect that it had on me. But just before we jump in, if it's okay, I'd like to give a small update on the Perry Sound campus. And uh, as a church, it certainly has been a difficult season to walk through. Uh, there are still some that are hurting, for sure, but we're walking with them. And that's understandable, yet the Lord is greater. But through all of this, we witnessed His grace, His love for the church, there have been new people coming out to church weekly. We have people returning to the church that had left church, not just in, our, in Perry Sound Church, but just in general, people returning back to the church that had left it years ago. We've witnessed our givings increase to the point that it's exceeding what we had thought this year would look like. Um, we have to renovate our children's wing. We have nine babies inside our nursery right now, and we have 15 coming. We've decided to grow the church the old-fashioned way, right? The Lord is gathering and raising strong leaders from within the church. And even exciting is in Sunday, July 10th, we're laying hands and installing another deacon in Perry Sound. God is awesome. And the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Amen. Lastly, just want to say thank you. Thank you to each and every one of you. The Perry Sound campus doesn't exist without you. You're a leg and an extension of God's work. Your finances, your prayers, 
all of those things that you have given over the past three years and we have pursued God in this journey of that campus, it's because collectively as a body of believers, it's interesting though the distance that hour apart sometimes makes us feel like pods. We're not. We're a church that's unified. We're together in this ministry looking forward to the years ahead as we witness the Lord's work together. So let's get into God's Word. Um, here at Harvest, one of our four pillars is proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. Uh, we're going to be in Jeremiah this morning, 29, uh, verses 11 to 13. If you don't have a Bible, you know, please raise your hand and, and the ushers will get a Bible to you. If you don't own a Bible, uh, take this one home. It's a free gift from us. The title of today's message is, It's God's Plan. Uh, most of you would know that four years ago, Carla and I had made the decision to sell our business and pursue youth ministry. Um, in that time, I had many, that was Colleen, wasn't it? Yes. In that time, I had many a night I didn't sleep. As I thought and prayed through all the changes and challenges that were going to face us as a family. Those of you who know me, I'm a planner. I, I love to paint targets to the future. I love to see what could be accomplished. I love to hit those things with the best of my ability. Uh, this has driven my wife crazy. Um, like she's always on the, oh no, Tim, like what's next? In the middle of the night, I would get up and write these details and make changes to my plans. Even in the nights ahead, I would start to lay out a 10-year plan of what the youth ministry would look like for Harvest Muskoka and what it would look like for us as a family. So even before the elders had made a decision on bringing or even hiring me on for youth ministry, I had already completed a 10-year plan. What I thought looked like for Harvest Muskoka. 10-year plan. This is year four. There's a bit of irony in that. So where am I going? This was my best thought plan, but God had a different plan. So as we look at this passage in Jeremiah 29, it's important that we get the whole context of what's going on around these three verses. The Lord's clear that He has a plan, and we read these, yet not the plan that the Israelites really wanted. Jeremiah was a prophet of the Lord, and he had been working amongst them, amongst the Israelites and Judah, warning them for years of their wicked ways. He's like, come on, people, can you not see what you're doing? Repent to the Lord. And we learn in previous chapters that Jeremiah had been sent by God to speak and to prophesy to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He had done this for many years, saying to them, the word of the Lord has come to me. Yet the Israelites didn't listen. Jeremiah even says that their ears didn't even hear. They were rebellious people. They were being warned of the way that they were living their lives. They were worshiping other gods. They were, they were in evil deeds. They were provoking God to anger. Yet they continued to ignore the warnings and proceeded to live out their plan, their life of sin. And the Lord moves forward with His plan. The whole land should become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. God destroys those that won't listen and saves those that God says, I regard good the exiles from Judah. The group is teachable. He separates the precious from the vile. Those left behind were not worth taking into exile. This takes us into chapter 29, 
So this is a letter from Jeremiah to the exiled people of Jerusalem as they lived in Babylon. These people exiled because of their disobedience to the Lord for 70 years. 70 years. Man, am I ever thankful that the Lord moves quicker in my life than 70 years. And then verses 11 and 13 were written in a time of great trial to the people. And this is where the Scripture is commonly misquoted. Verse 11 is cross-stitched on thousands and millions of pillows across the world. But the issue with that is that it's stitched by itself. If you read the verse ahead of it, this was written in a time of exile. Does the Lord want to make you happy no matter where you are in life? I know the Israelites were not happy about waiting 70 years to return to the promised land. Most of them, think about it, most of them would actually pass away before they actually got back to what the Lord had promised. Loved ones, the Lord uses trials to refine us and for us to draw to Him with an absolute dependence. It puts us in a perfect place of humility. It puts us in a place where we become less of me and it's more of Him. And this takes us to our first point this morning. I know the plan. As we read verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. How often do we make the plans in our life, my life? How often do we say, I know the plan moving from here? And we say it because we're either informed of that plan or something that we've developed ourselves and just like I did a 10-year plan saying, Lord, this is what I think it is. The letter I, taken out of context, is dangerous, isn't it? A time in which we stand in ourselves and our own confidence and I say, I know the plan. I know what's next, as in me. Or should it not be, it's the great I am that knows the plan. James 4, 13 to 15 warns of this. We do not know what tomorrow will bring. Just in these recent months, uh, Carla's sister Karen, um, making a dinner for a mission family that evening, she was healthy, she was fine, everything was great. 5.30 the next morning, we got the call that she had passed away. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We have no clue. So how can we say that we will go into this town and do this or that? We don't know. And yet in my arrogance, in my arrogance, we are so quick, I am so quick to think that I know what the next plan is that the Lord has. And it's when there's a dramatic change or trial, we look to God and we say, why? Lord, why? Why am I here right now? And it's good to call out to Him. It's good to say why, but it's not good to stay there. We fail to ask Him what? Lord, what are you teaching me? If we remain in the, in the why, can we see the pride that's in that? It's like a child that's asked for ice cream for the third time from mom and dad, and, and they say no. They're like, why? 
well, no, you can't have ice cream, but why not? Very rarely does the child at that moment stop pounding their feet on the floor and ask mom and dad, what are you trying to teach me? <laughs> to ask what? To ask what of our Heavenly Father places us in a kneeling position before our Heavenly Father. Our heads are bowed and it puts us in a perfect place of humility where He can use you. See the difference from the why and the what? We spend so much time praying, why God? Yet it's, He's waiting and He's like, would you not ask me, my son, what? I'm here, I want to teach you. There's a reason why you're going through this trial and I have something for you to learn. Why are you not asking me what? He's there for us. The Lord's promising a future and a hope. And we see this in the greatest times of change and trial, don't we? The Lord teaches us through our circumstances. But as Christians, we want to believe life is all about our happiness. We want joy, but we don't want exile to create it. We want to be strong in Jesus, but we don't want to walk that narrow road. We want holiness without the pain. We know in our Christian life, we will see change. Change in our day-to-day -day life. Change in our spiritual walk. Change in our children. Change in our spouse. Four years ago, went to bed, everything was fine. My, my, my wife woke up the next day. She was walking across the end of her bed. She fell flat on her face. Two and a half months later, she took her first step. I don't know why that happened. Her back will never be the same. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. You believe that today is all that we have, don't we? Tomorrow belongs to the Lord, not to you. And it's for us to believe in this daily. We want holiness without pain. Change in our spiritual life. Change in our spiritual walk. Change in our spouse. And in verse 11, the Lord's saying, I will give you a hope. My plans are not for evil. Yet how quick are we to view change in such a negative way? Have you ever seen a child change of their ways without correction? I haven't. Raising my kids, 18 years old and 16 years old, I've never actually ever witnessed yet with the two of them where correction did not help them change to be where they needed to be or for me to speak into the life of something that I saw. So then why as adults would we expect our Heavenly Father who loves you even more to teach us any differently? We must obey God. Even when it's difficult, recognize God's will as more important than our own desires. And trust God in His infinite wisdom and His perfect plan will bring about the best for His children. Our hope is Jesus Christ. Our part to trust the Lord in everything and have faith that He is in complete control. And it's when we have this faith, it's when we have this faith that He is in complete control that we can call upon Him to hear His plan. And this leads us into our next point this morning. I call upon the Lord to hear His plan. Reading in verse 12. Then you will call upon me. Come and pray to me. 
and I will hear you. Let's read that again. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. What a promise. What an amazing, awesome promise. Call out to me and you will find me. Call to me and I will hear you. If your child was out in the front yard playing with the ball, as they always do, and that ball goes across the street, what would we do? Would we sit quietly and wage out the options and say, hopefully they make it back across the street that there's no traffic? Or would we call out, hey, Piper, stop, honey, you're going into danger. What would we do? Of course we would call out. And if she didn't hear me, what would we do then? We would run, wouldn't we? We'd pursue her. I would run out and grab her and say, honey, don't. Let, let daddy go get that ball for you. If it didn't work, we'd run, wouldn't we? So in a time of seeking the Lord to understand his plan, why is it that we give up so quick? I hear so often I'm confused. I hear so often I don't know what the next steps are in my life. This is very prominent in our 20s ministry. This is very prominent in any age of 20 plus as they have so many life choices to make. I'm seeing that in my own son of 18 as he's graduating this year, coming out of high school. He does not know what's ahead of him. We call out constantly in urgency when it's a child chasing a ball under the street. But when we're pursuing the Lord, we give up so quick. Our society is teaching us, our culture is teaching us that, that we, everything we want should be instant. So if the Lord does not respond in my timing, I'll move ahead with my plan. Our Lord, our God, He's not a microwave. What he is through, he's perfect, he is sovereign. And he even knows how many hairs are on my head. He has counted the hairs on your head. He's a God of detail. And he's calling to us, to him this morning in prayer. This is our part of understanding God's plan for our lives. It requires faith to know that God will hear you. And when we're praying with that faith, though, are you prepared for him to answer? You've met my cousin Nate and Aaron and their family. Uh, they've been here quite a few times before. Um, they were on a mission trip in Africa a couple years ago. Uh, it was on a two-year plan that they had had to be there to build a church. And about four or five months in, um, their daughter Kylie got something, just a cut, just a slight little slit on the back of the ankle. It was nothing at the time. They didn't think much about it. And all of a sudden it started to swell because over there it's, everything flies in the dirt. Everything flies from one spot to another through the dirt. That's how everything is carried. It's actually not in the water. It's in the dirt. Anyway, it got infected and they couldn't get ahead of it. And so they started shipping all these antibiotics from the U.S. So they're, they're trying to pursue this thing. We're all praying diligently, Lord, what is your plan? The images start coming back, though, their ankle's going black. The, the bone is starting to change color, and now they're whispering amputation. So this brought them home early. After seven months, I walked with Nate through this journey because for him to understand why he was called back sooner, 
But Kylie is fully recovered. It was a battle for her. For one year, that girl walked with a backpack and a pump with an IV into her body, a pick line to her heart 24-7 to get ahead of whatever was in her ankle. Praise God, though, she kept her foot. She's completely healed. And she just got a bill of health just recently saying, you're good to go. But because of that, in that perfect timing of God's plan, not understanding why they came home early, now they're in a spot where the mission is actually saying, hey, would you come back? And instead of saying yes in a way that we all would normally respond in our excitement of, sure, I'll go back. Or no, are you nuts? I just about lost my family the last time I was in Africa. In that short period of seven months with their children, their youngest boy, Ted, got malaria. Jack got scalped by a ceiling fan. Kylie almost lost her foot. Foot. Their oldest son, Ethan, broke his femur so bad they had to drill and put a rod in from the knee up. I think I would have been in the fear part of the story. I really do. And yet as a family, they bowed. As a family, they went to the Lord. And they said, God, if this is your plan, then we will go. There are three big turtles, big snags that the Lord has uh, in that work for them. They needed to sell their vehicles and their home, of course, and, and get things um, uh, sorted out financially. And as they walked through this time of prayer and, and trusting the Lord and His answer in this plan, someone came to them just recently and said, hey, you know what, I'd, I'd love to buy your van when you go. They, they haven't put a for sale sign on it. Someone just walked up to them and said, hey, you know, I know you're going to be going, but I'd love to buy your van. Nate selling his truck. It's a fairly new vehicle. He'd take a pretty good hit if he was going to get rid of it. But instead, someone calls him from the U.S. because the U.S. exchange money matches what he's going to owe on the truck. Their house. Crazy story. Not for sale. Praying, God, what's your plan? So this couple meets with a real estate agent and says, look, I'm looking for a home up in this area. Great. Travel that road. Travel those streets. Find a house you like, and then I'll go visit it because nothing was for sale. So they come home from work. There's a note inside their mailbox from the real estate agent, we want to buy your house. <laughs> that was the only house that they chose. Out of all the houses on that street, it was that house that was chosen. You can't tell me that God doesn't have a plan for our life this morning when you see Him work with such passion and such direction and such detail in our life. How can you argue with that? Remember Nate's response on the phone. I mean, it's up we go to Togo. Off we go to Africa. We trust the Lord and what he's doing. God's answered these plans in a very short time. It's so awesome to witness the Lord's provisions when we trust his plan and not ours. When we witness the calling out to God in prayer, lead us. But this isn't always the answer though, is it? What we do when we don't hear anything, when we're constantly calling out, Lord, what's your plan? But there's no direction. It might be a trial that you're in. You might feel like you're in exile. God, where are you? What is it, Lord, that you have for us? James 1, 2-4 speaks into these times. It's in these trials that we stay steadfast under them. Don't try in your flesh to get out from underneath. This is a testing of your faith. 
It's in these times the Lord is sharpening us, isn't he? He wants to teach us more about who we are and what we cannot see in our life. And in James 1, 5, and 5 through 8, it says this is our hope. James is saying that if you lack wisdom, call out to the Lord who gives generously. It's hard to know what to do in life, isn't it? Isn't it? It's hard. It's hard to know what is next. And often we say, well, I don't know. But there's a hope. Because in the latter part of that verse, it says, let him ask in faith with no doubt for the one that doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed to and fro from the wind. It's for us to pray with an expectant faith to our Lord. Give us wisdom to see so we can understand where we are. See, the beginning part of that passage is talking about being in that trial. God knows we won't understand. So the latter part of that is him saying, pray to me with an expectant faith of asking for wisdom and I will grant it for you. We know the Christian walk will be hard. It will be difficult. But the Lord is saying, call out to me and you will find me. Call out to me in faith, knowing that I will be found by you. That's the Lord's promise for us, each of us this morning, to know God's plan. Our part is to first call to him. This takes us to our last point this morning. I seek the Lord with my whole heart to understand his plan. Out of verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. When do our hearts drift the farthest from our Heavenly Father? When do our hearts drift the most? It's when all is well, isn't it? Busyness of life has us distracted. We're distracted in ministry. We're distracted in the works of church. We're distracted in our families. We're distracted in our jobs. Our head is down. We're giving it everything we've got. Or our feet are up. And we're relaxed in our life. Just coasting. Life is all good. I'm both of those. I work so hard. I put myself in a place where I justify myself being lazy. And in those times is when I'm frequently the furthest from the Lord. No matter what, both these positions of busyness and laziness have the same effect. We drift, don't we? We drift so quick from our Heavenly Father. And so what draws us the quickest back to Christ is when there's uncertainty in our lives, when trials come upon us and we get, we get it and we need to seek the Lord with our whole heart. That's when we get it is when there's a trial, when there's something in our life that's uncertain. That's when we go to Him. But I have to ask this question as I've asked it to myself. Is this what the Lord wants of my life? Is this what the Lord wants of your life? We live out our plans, our life, the way we want to until something happens and then we look to God for His plan because we know they're perfect, don't we? But I have to say, that's a weird relationship. That relationship wouldn't work with Carla and I. That relationship would not work with my children. And so why? Why, Lord, would I use our relationship this way where I will go to you, I will call to you only when, only when I seek your plan, when I see that my plan isn't working anymore, 
What do you think the word all means in verse 13? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me with all your heart. You know, do we say, I, I, I don't know. I think the Lord meant part of my heart. Because he's given me some gifts. He's given me some things that I know how to do. And those gifts are from the Lord. And so that part of my heart, that belongs to me. But I do recognize that God gave me those gifts. But over here, this half of my heart, that's the Lord's. Are we compartmentalizing our life where we only give a portion of our plan to the Lord, but we seek to keep our own plan over here? Do we see the tension in our lives that we create doing this? It's like a high wire we walk. One side's anchored to my plan, my life, and the other side is anchored to God's plan. And depending whether or not it's good or the balance, tells me where I want to be on this tightrope. It's as though that I sneak to my plan, don't we? When things are good, but all of a sudden when it gets out of balance, I go back to God to seek His plan because it's stable, it's strong, it's true, and it's perfect for my life. Can we see, though, in this image that the rope is from side to side? There's no motion forward in your life. There's no motion forward. We're wrestling match one side against the other. My plan against God's plan. Is it not that with our whole heart given to God, we walk to His side? We walk to His plan? Then we start walking in that direction that He has planned for you. Loved ones, why fight for your plan anymore? Why fight for it? Why not relent? Why not give your plans to the God and say, Lord, I will do what you've asked of me. Submit to Jesus Christ this morning. He's calling on your whole heart, not a portion, not a piece. He wants all of you this morning. Because he has a perfect plan for you. Christ is promising us. He's promising us when we seek him with our whole heart, you will find him. And when we make that decision to be all in, don't stand out there on your own. Bring people into your life. When Carl and I were praying through heading into ministry, I had been advised to meet with three wise, godly men. Don't put men in your life that, that are yes men. Put men in there that will speak the hard truth over you. One of those men were, were Mike Butler. Uh, he and his wife have served in Papua New Guinea. Some of you might know uh, Jay and Krista. Um, they're in Papua New Guinea. That's where they are right now. So I asked him, Mike, how do I proceed in this journey where I trust God's plan and I don't get my sticky little hands into the middle of it? I'm naturally a worker. And I want to make this happen. But because I know that that's my nature, Mike, what, what do I do? What's better for me to just sit on the couch and pray, Lord, it's all you? You do it. You do it if this is your plan. I will never forget what Mike said to me that day. Very, very simple, but it was needed to hear. No, Mike was a boat mechanic. So his references were common uh, back to his other life of, of working as a mechanic before he went into missions. He said, Tim, have you ever tried to steer a boat that's not in gear? I said, yep. 
it's uh, kind of impossible. The wind just kind of takes you wherever you don't want to go. He's like, exactly. Your journey is one of faith and trust. You have to start the engine on the boat, put it in gear, walk to the back of the boat, kneel and start praying to the Lord. This is your vessel. Take me wherever you want me to go. You see, the Lord can steer a boat that's in gear, a life that's living in faith for the Lord has full control. The position of prayer in the back is so we keep our hands off the steering wheel and stop trying to steer the boat in the direction we think it should go. It's for us to stop thinking that it's our plan. It's God's plan. It's trusting Him in everything. Look at Abraham and Sarah. God had said to them, you know, you will be with a child, Sarah, and you will give birth to a son. Yet they couldn't wait. They took matters into their own hands, and Abraham slept with his handmaid under the permission of Sarah, which gave birth to Ishmael. Yet the Lord Isaac was still in the plans for the Lord in the years to come. In the years to come, when Isaac was born, that was God's perfect plan. I do this. Do you know how many times in this journey of ministry I get up from the position of trust and I grab a hold of that steering wheel and I say, it's my plan, Lord, mine. I want to go where I want to go. No more. It's my life. I know, and I start steering my life in that direction. God, it's my plan, not yours. But I am so thankful for God's grace. And how he leads me back to that position of submitting to him. To a prayer of asking what? What, Lord, are you teaching us in this journey? I refer to this a lot in my own life. A believer can see far more in the kneeling position of prayer than you will ever see standing on your tippy toes trying to see what's next. Far more can be seen trusting your heavenly Father in a kneeling position of prayer than you will ever see trying to peek around the corner of something that's uncertain. But I will promise you, it'll be the hardest thing you ever do to be in a spot where you kneel in the unknown, never not knowing what the Lord has next. But I will promise you, it is the most beautiful spot to be in. Hardest, but the most beautiful. The Lord uses those times um, hugely in your life. As the worship team comes up, I want you to know that this isn't just for us. This isn't just for Carla and I. This is for you as well. If I were to ask each of you to stand this morning, if you're in a time of uncertainty or in a time of trial or in a time of change in your life, I trust there would be many that would stand this morning and acknowledge the fact of that journey in them. As you look into your personal life, what's stopping you this morning from praying? What, Lord? What are you teaching me? Or has the Lord been calling on you and you've ignored him? And your prayer is, Lord, use me. He's been calling on you and asking, I want to use you in this way as a servant of the Lord and you've ignored that call and you're like, not now. Not now, Lord. I'm stopping you this morning from praying that prayer. Being open-handed. God, use my life. Use my life.
We're going to have time to take this this morning to the Lord as we take communion together. There's never a better or best time for communion, but I love where I see God's hand and the details of timing for us today. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this this is just a juice. This is just some juice and and a cracker for you. It's a celebration for those that have been put their life full in the hope and the death and resurrection of the King Jesus Christ. But there's good news in this for you. If you're not a believer this morning, this can be a celebration for you today. When you put your faith and trust in a perfect God, a life we can never live, a life I can never live, Don't sit there today and feel like you're a one of and that you're being judged because you're not. That's a lie. We love you. We're so thankful you're here this morning. Romans 3.23 promises that I will fall short every single day of my life. We all fall short. You're sitting beside a sinner right now. Romans 6.23 says it teaches us about the consequences of that sin. Romans 5, 8 says that Christ Jesus dies for us. He paid the price for our sins. And Romans 10, 9 comes with such a promise and such a hope for you this morning that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe with your whole heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This can be your prayer this morning right now. This can be your prayer right now. This can be your very first time celebrating at the Lord's table as a result of making that commitment to Christ. That not it's in your soul right now. That, that's not from me. The Spirit of God is pursuing your heart. Don't ignore that this morning. He's calling on you. Brother and sister, make that commitment to Jesus Christ this morning. I'm just going to ask the ushers to hand out the elements. As you pick them up, there's, there's two cups and the one, the bread is in the bottom, so just make sure you grab both as you pull them out. It's a time for all of us to understand what we're about to partake in. We know the Lord right now is seeking a repentant heart. It's a heart that acknowledges its sin and it's serious. In 1 Corinthians 24, 30 is a great passage to unpack what communion is about. There's three real points to it. First, we should look back to the cross in remembrance of what Christ did for us. That he died for our sins, my sins. The love that God has for us is to send his son in my place. It's so important as a church We don't get complacent that this event of communion turns into some kind of ritual that happens on the first of every month. Do we truly see the Lord's sacrifice this morning? Second, we look to the future. In verse 26, it says, Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So communion is an act. The Lord calls on us in obedience to Him until He returns or we go home. God's command is clear. Remember me. Remember me as a humble servant. 
but know I am returning as a mighty king. Amen. Thirdly, verse 28, it's a time to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal these things in our hearts and lives that, that are not pleasing to God. So when these areas are revealed to us, it's for us to take action now and repent. Repent of those sins to your Heavenly Father this morning. But if we choose not to and partake in communion, there's a serious warning for us in verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why I opened up with communion this morning saying, this is a very serious time for us. It's a time to come to the table with joy. It's a time to come to the table with reverence and awe of Him. And it's a time to come to the table with honesty. We're just going to take a few minutes right now. And I just want to give you this opportunity just to sit where you are and just to pray. Take this time quietly before the Lord. You've walked through, you're wrestling with whatever it might be. The Lord has provoked that in your life through the Holy Spirit. He's asking you, bring that to me this morning. What hidden sin has not been dealt with? If you don't know, pray to the Lord to reveal. Pray the Holy Spirit to work within your heart. given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me let's partake of Christ's body together in the same way also he took the cup and saying this cup is a covenant of my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me let's drink together Would you stand with us this morning as we close out in worship?